There's a guy on the internet, his name is uh, Dennis C. I don't know a lot about him, but he posts YouTube videos. And on one occasion, he posted a video where he had, uh, he had set up a social experiment. He dropped his wallet on the ground and then stood back to video and see who would, uh, who would turn it in. Well, one guy found it, the first guy that found it, and they turned it in right away. Second guy that found it picked it up and carried it with him and went to the mall. And he took out what looked like the credit card uh, that was in the wallet and went on a shopping spree at the mall. And then he came out of the mall and he opened up the wallet, rummaged through it, found the driver's license in it and started to, uh, to travel down the road. So they followed him with this video camera. And he actually went to the neighborhood of Dennis, uh, where he was. And they thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. And then he went right to Dennis's house and knocked on the door in order to turn the wallet in. You see, it seems that the shopping spree that he went on was with his own credit card that simply looked like Dennis's credit card. And so we can think that we know what is truth and we can come to realize that we were mistaken. Um, another occasion, uh, Pastor Steve Poe tells a story about when he was a little boy. They would walk home from school every day. And at this one house, they were always scared to go by because there was this dog chained up out back. And he was always barking and they were always scared. What would happen if that dog got loose? He would eat us alive. And eventually the owner of the house noticed these kids were always sort of fearful when they came by his house. And so one day he had the dog on a leash out front and he called the kids over. Well, they were scared to come over. So the gentleman walked over to the kids and he looked at the kids and said, he won't bite you. Oh, we're scared, they said. But he pulled up the upper lip of the dog to reveal that the dog didn't have any teeth. And the dog turned out to be really friendly and playful, and so they enjoyed that time together. You know, sometimes we think we know what's right, and we can be totally wrong. Um, in the Scripture, the Bible says in Proverbs uh, 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We're continuing our series today, and we've been talking about, you know, our new vision, mission, and values, and our vision, of course, is that uh, hope changes everything, and we truly believe that hope in Jesus will change everything in people's lives, and will enable them to have the best life here that God can give them. We also have a mission, and that mission is to love God, to to love people, and to serve both. And we believe that, too, is a biblical message. And then we started last week talking about our values upon which we, we uh, operate our church. And the very first one is that Christ is central. We come to our second value today, which they're all listed over there. And this is our second value, and that is that Scripture is truth. And that's one of the main things that we base what we do here at Central Christian Church on that idea. Christ is central and Scripture is truth. 
But how do we know that Scripture is true? That's a question that I want to raise today. How do we know that Scripture is true? Ever since Scripture has been around, people have pondered that question. You know, how do we, how do we know that we can believe what the Scriptures say? And down through the ages, there have been people that have said, well, uh, parts of it are true. Uh, you just have to know which parts it is. We have to go through and pick out the parts that we think are true. What that really means is they want to go through and pick out the parts they like, and then they want to leave out the parts that they don't like. And that can't happen. Either it's all true, or we have to sus be suspect of the Scripture. Now, what parts are true, and how do we know that we can believe it's truth? Well, let's go to John chapter 17 today. That'll be our Bible verse. The Apostle Paul, of course, is, uh, or the Apostle John writing this, is a close associate of Jesus. In fact, he's an eyewitness to what we're going to look at today. And what we're going to look at today in John 17 is actually a prayer that Jesus gave. Now, to set the context for this, in John chapter 13 and 14, Jesus was in the upper room with his uh, disciples the night before his death, and he was teaching them, and they were uh, enjoying the Passover meal, which was a Jewish ritual, and they were, uh, uh, Jesus established the Lord's Supper that night as, as he was preparing to leave this earth, and then at the end of chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says, Come now, let us leave. In chapters 15 and 16, we believe Jesus and his apostles must have been walking through the town of Jerusalem. On the way, they were headed for the Garden of Gethsemane, and they probably came close to the temple. And Jesus did some teaching in chapters 15 and 16. Maybe they stopped by the temple there uh, at the, uh, uh, as 17 began, and Jesus gives this prayer. In chapter 18, verse 1, it says that they crossed the Kidron Valley after he finished praying, and that's the way they went up to the Garden of Gethsemane. So chapter 17 is probably taking place at the temple or nearby the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus prays this prayer. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. He prays for the future believers, which would be us. We want to look today at just part of this prayer, and we're going to begin at verse 13. He's speaking directly to the Father. In verse 13, Jesus says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. He's talking about the disciples. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For in them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. There are several important ideas that we're going to draw out of this to help us understand that the Word, 
the Scripture is truth. And the first thing I want you to think about is that the Scripture is the Word of God. In the first century, when people talked about the Scripture, they were talking about the Word of God. And often when they said the Word or the Word of God, they were referring to the Scripture. The Old Testament Bible, it was at that time, the New Testament had not been added to it, had not even been written down or put together yet. Uh, the apostles and their uh, cohorts uh, wrote the New Testament part and it was added to the Old Testament later to form our Bible. They all wrote under the inspiration of God. First, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So through the Holy Spirit, they were inspired to write the words that they gave us. When it talks about prophecy, it doesn't just mean the parts of the Bible that are predicting future. Prophecy means to speak forth the Word of God. In essence, the whole Bible is prophecy. And as people wrote down the words, especially in the Old Testament, in the Old King James Bible, it says, Thus saith the Lord, they wrote. Or it's translated in the NIV, this is what the Lord says. Over 150 times that's written in the Old Testament. And the Bible is often referred to as the Word of God or the Word of the Lord. And of course we know Jesus was the Word made flesh. Scripture now is sometimes used to refer to the writings of any religion in the world. Um, uh, the Quran in Islam, the Vedas in the Hindu religion, the Tipitaka for Buddhism, the Talmud and the Torah for the Jewish folks. Uh, but these are not the scripture we're talking about. The Word of God is referred to as the scripture that we call the Bible. Now, doesn't it make sense that if God wanted us to know these things, that he would write them down for us? You know, in Luke chapter 24, he told the apostles that he would, uh, he would uh, that it says there that he would open their minds so they could understand the Scripture, and he later told them he would give them total recall of all of his teachings so they would be able to know what they should write down. So the first thing I want us to think about is the Scripture is the Word of God. It comes from God. Second... It is given to help people stand against the evil one. If you look back at verse 15 there, it says, my prayer, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now just before that, in verse 14, it says he has given them the word of God. So he gave his followers his word so that they would be able to stand against the world. Now, there's a contrast here between Jesus' followers, and the world. The worldly, or sometimes referred to as people of the flesh in the Bible. The godly people are referred to as the spiritual people. You know, there's no neutral ground. You're either a follower of Jesus or you're in the world. 
Jesus said in Luke 7, 11, 23, whoever is not with me is against me. So even though you might say, well, I'm not actively against Jesus, I'm just not for him, there's no neutral ground. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're not part of God's family. And you have no hope of eternal life in this world. You know, some people believe that you can just live how you want to as long as you acknowledge that there's a God up there that one day you're going to get to go to heaven. Uh, I've heard people say, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. And their truth would totally contradict what our truth is. Well, that's not possible. It, it, if the two truths contradict each other, then one of them is not truth. And if it's not what the Scripture teaches, then, especially about God, then those people are in error. Those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, they will not find the one true God. And you know, that's part of Satan's lie. The thing we have to remember about, about Satan is he is a liar. Jesus in John 8, said, he is a murderer and a liar from the very beginning. And what he means there, you go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve in, uh, in Genesis. In chapter 2 in Genesis, God told Adam, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. But what happened? Satan came along. He tempted Eve. Eve ate from the fruit, then gave some to Adam, and he ate from the fruit of that tree, and death came into the world. But the whole time, Satan was whispering in their ears, saying, look, you're not going to die. Ah, God didn't really mean that. He just didn't want you to be like him because once you eat of that tree, then you're going to know good and evil and you'll be like God. That's why we need to study God's Word. That's why we need to be proficient in God's Word because we need to know what God says. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted by that same Satan. Three times he was tempted. And what did he do each time? He recited to Satan the Word of God to show, I know that you're trying to lead me into a temptation, but I know what the Word of God says, and so I can avoid by calling on God's Word. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writing here warns us that we're going to have to face Satan throughout our time in this world. But he says there, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the evil schemes of Satan. Because he's going to try to tempt us throughout our lives. And that's a big reason why God gave us his word, to help us stand against the evil one. He gave us the, the armor that Paul calls up is the belt of truth. That is simply that God is the truth, that, his, that he leads us to truth. The breastplate of righteousness, that has to do with holy living and striving to live for God. Uh, feet fitted with the gospel, he talks about. Uh, that is the gospel of grace, and that we are to know that gospel and be able to share that with others. The shield of faith. That is that we trust that God's Word is truth, and we trust that God will be with us as we go throughout our lives in this world. The helmet of salvation. That is that we have faith that we are saved and will live eternally with God. 1 John 5.13 says, 
These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. That's not arrogant. That's just confidence in what the Word says. And then he says, the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the Word of God. And we really need to have that sword as part of our arsenal. And lastly, he says that we should pray on all occasions. So prayer is part of our armor. But the main thing there is that we have that sword of the Spirit, that we have the Word of God, that we use it to combat the evil one so that when we are presented with the false lies of Satan, we will have no problem understanding that he is speaking lies and that he's going against the Word of God. You know, evil is all around us today. There's a TV show now. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's called Little Demon. Believe it or not, it's connected to Disney. And in this program, it's Satan's teen daughter. She's 13 years after having a daughter by Satan, a reluctant mother named Laura, and her antichrist teenage daughter, Chrissy, attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware, but are constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for custody of his daughter's soul. Now, this is a cartoon, an animated TV show, but it's rated TVMA, which means mature audiences only. Let me ask you, if it's a cartoon, do you think adults are going to be the only one watching it? It's on this channel, FXX, which is actually owned by the Disney Company. According to the American Family Association, the show makes light of hell and the dangers of demonic realm. Even the previews and commercials include such horrific content that it is difficult for families to watch FXX to avoid its evil subject matter completely. Um, this, this show is horrible. Even though Disney promised it wouldn't put R-rated, which MA, Mature TV, shows are equal to R-rated movies. Even though Disney had promised it wouldn't put those on its cable channels, they did. Evil is all around you. And that's the subtle way Satan slips in and tries to lead us astray. You know, if you go back here in John 17 to verse 14, uh, Jesus says here, I have given them your word, but the world has hated them. You know, the believers are given God's word. And the world hates them, and more and more today we find that. Although they try to turn it around on us and say we are the haters. Uh, have you heard this? You know, people ask Christians when Christians speak the truth, why do you hate me? Why do, you, why do you say I'm wrong because I do this? Why do you hate me? And anytime we speak against something that goes on in the world today and it goes against the Word of God, then we're going to be called haters. You know, more than once in our society, people have tried to shut down Christian radio and Christian broadcasting. Uh, now, I know that some of it is not truly... Uh, Christian in the way it is presented but they want to shut it all down and they want to shut down the truth that we preach because it sometimes offends them 
You know, when we speak the truth of God, I tell you, when I read the truth of God, sometimes I get offended because it convicts me. But you know, that's the point of the Word, is to convict us where we need to change and help us to become more like God. I'll tell you what the world wants to do. They want to take away our freedom to speak while they want to retain their freedom to speak. And that's part of Satan's lie again. He wants to stop us from preaching the Word of God. But when we stand firm, as it says in Ephesians 6, with the armor of God, especially the sword of the Spirit, which is both an offensive and a defensive weapon, we can use that to block the blows of Satan like Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. We can also use it to, to propel our mission, the gospel, as we go out. You notice what Jesus says here in this prayer. He says, not that we would be taken out of the world, but that God would protect us from the evil one so that we can be in the world, verse 11, but not of the world, verse 14. So Jesus has called us to use the word to combat the evil one. Now he takes this a step further. Look at what he says in verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You see, it, the word, guides believers to sanctification. Now, that's a big word you probably won't hear anywhere except uh, uh, in maybe an old rock and roll song from back in the 60s, or you'll hear it in church. And sanctification is the process of being made holy. Which, what does holy mean? It means morally and ethically pure. It also means set apart or dedicated to God. And both material things and people can be holy. This communion table is holy. It's set apart for God's purpose. It's used here, dedicated to God, and used here to, to hold these communion trays and to be a symbol for us of what Christ did for us. So it's holy. It's dedicated to the Lord. People too can be set apart as holy. That is dedicated to the Lord, but with the element of being also striving to be morally and ethically pure as we go about our lives in the world. Now when we give our life to Christ, we are positionally counted as being holy. We come under God's umbrella, so to speak. He forgives our sins it doesn't count our sins against us. So when we are, have faith in Jesus, we are holy. But you know and I know we've still got some rough edges, don't we? We've still got some work to do to be practically holy. We are positionally holy, but we still got some work to do to be practically holy. On an everyday sense, we all slip up. We all fall short sometimes. So this sanctification is an ongoing process. God is working to make us or help us become the holy people that he wants us to see. That's why verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. If we read in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says we are saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So the Spirit and the truth, or the Word of God, work together together and are continuously working 
in this sanctification process to help us become more and more holy. You know, not too long ago, um, when I was laid up during my illness, I began to think one day, I was reading scripture, and I became convicted about my younger days, my late teens, my early 20s, about some of the sins I had committed. Now, if you think I'm going to stand up here and give you a list of those, you are badly mistaken. Okay, some of those things should not be said in church. Okay, and I look around at people shaking their head because we've all been there, haven't we? We've all done things we're not proud of. But I began to become deeply convicted about some of those sins. And I just prayed to God and I said, God, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be even called a Christian because of the things I've done. I'm certainly not worthy to be a preacher at a church because of the things that I've done. And this little voice, I didn't hear audible words, but something came to me and said, you're not the man you were back then. You're different. And as I began to read the scripture, it reminded me that I had been sanctified, that I had been forgiven, and that there was an ongoing process that I'm... The voice said to me, you're not perfect yet. But that there is an ongoing process going on in my life and hopefully in your life that God is working to make us more holy and to sanctify us. And he has given us his truth largely for this purpose. It's in the written form of the scripture. You know, when somebody comes to you and says, God told me, and they tell you something, and it doesn't line up with the Scripture, you can rest assured it wasn't God speaking. So, that's why we need to know the Scripture. That's why He's given us the Scripture. And He's given it to us to protect us from the evil one. He's given it to us to sanctify us and make us holy. But why do those things make it true? Because go back and look again at the end of verse 17 where Jesus says, your word, speaking to the Lord, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said it's truth. You know, if we believe that, as we talked about last week in our first core value, that Christ is central, then we should believe that what he speaks is the truth. And when he says the scripture is, is truth and that leads to our second core value that we should believe and these are the two main ideas that help guide us as a church and everything should flow from this that Christ is central and scripture is truth these two complement each other if you think about it Jesus said scripture is truth and the Bible gave us over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus that he would come and that he would be our Savior. So they complement each other. And we know that Jesus' disciples heard this teaching. They believed Christ was central. They believed Scripture was truth. In fact, so much so they believed it that they put their lives on the line to start the church and bring it to maturity. And in the process, the world that we know of was changed 
for the good. They were willing to do it, even though it cost them their lives. So here's our connection point today. You see, the more we apply the Scripture to our lives, the more we realize it's truth. Some stories in the Bible may seem far-fetched, though they are truth. Some teachings may seem unrealistic, though they are truth. Probably our problem is we don't totally understand them or we have misunderstood them. We take them out of context. But if you study the Scripture and if you apply it to your lives, you will come more and more to know and understand the truth of God. That's why we have adopted both of these, that Christ is central and Scripture is truth to guide us as a church. I heard about a man that was traveling on an airplane and he sat beside a little girl that had a copy of the Bible in her lap. She was reading it. She was reading the story of Jonah. And the man asked her, he said, young lady, do you really believe that book is true? Do you believe all those stories in there? I don't believe it's true. She said, yes, I believe it's true. Every word of it, she said. He said, well, do you believe things like Jesus turned water into wine? Do you believe that Jesus walked on water or, or that he made uh, a whole meal for 5,000 people out of two fish and five loaves of bread? Yes, she said, I believe it. It's in the Bible. He looked down and saw she was in the book of Jonah. He said, do you believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale and spit up on the land? She said, yes, I do. It was in the book. And he said, well, how do you know that it's true? She said, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And he said, well, what if he's not there? She said, well, then when you get where you're going, you ask him. <laughs> oh, if we could simply have the faith of that little girl to believe that Scripture is truth. And then if we could read it and study it and apply it to our lives, how much further along we would be in that sanctification process. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, it leads us to truth. It is the truth. It helps us come to discern what you would have us to know, to live our lives. In First Peter, it says you've given us everything we need to live the life that you've called us to. And Father, we believe that it comes from following Jesus and from using your word of truth to guide us. And so we pray today that you would help us to be a people of the book, that you would guide us and direct us through it, and that, Father, our faith would grow and our sanctification process would be more and more complete as we move along. In the name of Jesus, I pray and pray today.